Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Christian. I'm one of the elders and pastors here at Cornerstone, and I get the opportunity to, to take you and continue our series that we're going through this month and next month that we're calling Membership for the Mission. Our, our efforts to clarify what we believe it means to follow Jesus together through local committed relationships. I'm excited to do this. This is a little bit different than the typical series. If you're new to Cornerstone, typically like our, our main way of teaching is that we'll, we'll have a book of the Bible that we'll teach kind of through section by section. But this series is a little bit different. It's an opportunity for us almost to kind of have a little bit of a huddle. I guess rehearse the playbook like a football team would. Or it's almost like this. It's like, um, have you heard the analogy of like the relationship between a trellis and a vine? That, that a vine will grow as it has the support of a trellis that provides structure to it. And so I guess what you'd say is that this series that we're in right now is a little bit more of defining the trellis, defining what is that structure that the life of this family can grow on. Not to be ruled by the structure, but to be supported by it in order to bring clarity and focus to what it is that we're seeking to do together as a local church. Now, last week, if you were with us, you know, we had these, these new kind of print versions of our membership booklet. And I asked you if you would take this with you and take it home and begin to prayerfully read through it. And, and, if, and I also asked if you would bring it back with you this Sunday, because this will kind of be something that we will continue to reference throughout this series. So... Hold it up, and I want to see how many of you guys, who brought them with you? Awesome, awesome. Thank you guys for that. I would also say you can put those down now. If you didn't bring it with you, or you, had, this, you weren't here last week, and this is your first chance to get it, feel free to throw your hand up in the air now. One of our ushers would love to get this to you and put it in your hands. You can also find this membership booklet online. You can go to cornerstonesenior.com, click about, and you'll see a tab that says membership, and it'll take you to a link to the, the PDF version of this as well. But if you remember, if you were with us here last week, uh, keep those hands up nice and high. The elders or the ushers are coming by. They'd love to give you one. If you were here with us last week, kind of what we mainly covered last time was what you see on pages 11 and 12, this idea of what we, how we define what it means to be a disciple. If the mission of the church, as Jesus defined it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, is to make disciples of all nations, to be disciples who make disciples, well, then it's good to have clarity on what it means to be a disciple. And so last week, we walked through that idea that a disciple is a follower of Jesus who's seeking to learn from Jesus and trust Jesus and become like Jesus and help others do the same. What we're going to focus on this week is this idea of uh, uh, why we believe it's healthy to make a formal commitment to this idea of discipleship, to make a formal commitment to be and make disciples together as a local church. And so our conversation this morning is all going to focus around this word covenant. We got some people on this side. If I can get some of the ushers on this side. Thank you, guys. Your arms are getting tired. Feel free to prop it up if you need to like that. Feel free. Our, our conversation this morning is going to focus on the idea of a covenant, and you'll see this more on like page seven of the membership book. So as you get one, you can open up there. And that's a large part of where we're going to camp out this morning. This word covenant has rich biblical significance, but it's probably something that's not like right in our face in our culture of our time. So it's worth paying a little bit of attention to um, because it, it, it is so significant. It's a, a theme we can trace throughout God's story. Perhaps the place where if you've, if you've been in the church for a while, perhaps the place where you're most familiar with seeing this word covenant is like what Jesus says, what, what Paul records in 1 Corinthians 5 and 11 in this, when he's laying out what we call the Lord's Supper. Remember, he takes the bread and says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. So if you are a Christian, if you are a disciple, not only are you a disciple called to make disciples of others, you are also a member of this new covenant in Jesus' blood. So while the question, what is a covenant, may have not been the first thing on your mind when you woke up this morning, it is a really relevant question because it helps to form, it forms the basis, really, of what it means to have a relationship with God and with God each other. And it's one of the main things that we're seeking to, to focus on, to emphasize with membership. 
acknowledging this new covenant that God has made with us through his son Jesus, and then committing to live according to that new covenant in the way that we operate together as a local church family. Does that make sense? Okay, so on page seven, you'll see at the very top of the page, what we have is like our definition of what a covenant is, and it's this. A covenant is a formalized relationship that's based upon promises of ongoing faithfulness in pursuit of a common mission. Three parts to it. A formalized relationship based on promises of ongoing faithfulness in pursuit of a common mission. Let's unpack that a little bit. And right now, for this next couple of minutes, I'm going to kind of follow closely what you see on the rest of page seven there. That when we, when we look at scripture, we see that when God enters into a covenant relationship with someone, whether that's an individual like Abraham or a whole group of people like the nation of Israel, he initiates that relationship in, in a visible, formal way through, through ceremony, through some type of symbolism that serves so that all the parties involved in that relationship can have clarity on what that relationship is, what it means to be a part of it, and why they're in the relationship. Does that make sense? All the, in some ways, it's almost like similar to the, the closest thing that we can see in our culture is maybe what we see at like a typical wedding ceremony. All the pomp and circumstance and fancy dress and formality and all of that is meant to lend a sense of seriousness, but also celebration to the commitment that the husband and wife are making together that day. Serious because it is a big commitment they're making, but celebration because it's a wonderful commitment that they're making. And all of the formality to it forms to make it clear that this is something worthwhile and something that will take work. Because if you're not clear on the work that it will take to have a healthy marriage, nor are you willing to put in the work that it takes to have a healthy marriage, you will fail to see the goodness of what God designed that relationship to be like. Does that make sense? It's very similar in this idea of a covenant relationship with God and each other. If we understand what it is, we understand what it means to commit to it, now we can enjoy the fruit, the wonderfulness of it. So that's the first thing. This covenant, it's formalized through some sort of ceremony. It's not an assumed relationship. There's a DTR. You ever familiar with that? A moment where you define the relationship. You take the girl out to coffee or dinner for a couple months, and then you say, hey, here's why I was doing that. I'd like to pursue something with you, right? You d define what the relationship is all about. So that's the first part. The second part of it is this idea that this relationship is based on promises of ongoing faithfulness. That's not just about defining what the relationship is today, how you feel about that person today, but making promises of how you'll continue to be faithful to that relationship on into the future. And again, that's a place where like our, our traditional wedding ceremony is kind of helpful for us to understand what this looks like. When my wife, Jen, and I, where is she? I saw her, there she is, hi babe. When we stood on this stage, well, it's probably actually more up here because we didn't have this lower part back then. When we stood on this stage on January 6th of 2006, we were dressed up, she looked incredible, and we made promises to each other. We made vows to each other that wasn't just about the way that we felt, each other that, felt about each other that day, but about who we promised that we would be for each other for all the days to come after that, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. It's a future-oriented relationship. And I will say in front of all of you and with my wife here, I'm so glad we did that. <laughs> I'm so glad that over 15 years later, we continue to seek to put the work into that relationship. We don't have a perfect marriage by any means, but yet there is such a fruitfulness to it. I love you. And I'm so glad we made this. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, dear. But again, I say all that just not to brag, like, brag on my wife and have this moment to, to say I love her in front of all of you, though I do. The point is, the formality serves to make promises not just about the way you feel today, not just about what you like about a person or a church today, but how you want to serve and to be devoted on into the future. Does that make sense? And the last part of it is this idea of a common mission, that the reason for all of the formality and the ceremony, the reason for the promises, is because ultimately a covenant relationship isn't just about being in the relationship. 
It's about accomplishing something through the relationship, working together on a common mission. We're going to come back to that idea of a common mission in a couple minutes, but do you see that rhythm? Formality, promises, mission. That's what you have in a covenant relationship. So that's the the pattern that I'm telling you we see in Scripture. Now let me show it to you from Scripture. We're going to look at this in two ways. We're going to look at this in the way that God forms a covenant relationship first with Abraham, and then we're going to see it with the way he does it with the nation of Israel. So if you have your Bibles or a phone with a Bible app, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 12. Some of the passages I'll have up on the screen, and a couple I'll ask you to follow along with me. But this first one in Genesis 12 we're going to throw up on the screen. Kind of like last week, we're going to look at a few different things, and the idea is we just kind of want to skip a rock across the top of this so we can catch the rhythm of why God makes covenants, how we are in a covenant, and then how we can be faithful to that together as a local church. So check this out. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord says to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred into your father's house and go to the land that I'll show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be, there's a lot of promises going on, right? I'll make you great. I'll bless you. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. God is shaping this relationship with the future in mind. I'm promising to do these things for you. And then here at the end of verse three, we see the mission, the point of all of it. Why is he heaping this blessing on Abraham? So he can bless all the families on earth through Abraham. The mission of that covenant is global blessing for all the families on earth. And that global mission starts with one man and then the family and nation that God would grow from. But again, the point, promises for the future, mission to accomplish, Where's the formality, though? Where do we see this sense of ceremony? Well, this actually comes later. Flipping your Bibles a couple chapters later to Genesis chapter 15. At this point in Genesis chapter 15, Abram's listened to God. He's gone to the land that God showed him. God's repeated his promises that he will give him children, even though he and his wife are old and past the age of childbearing. And Abram believes that promise. And it is an amazing moment where God says that he credits that to Abram as righteousness because he believed in the promises of God. That's amazing. We could do a whole sermon on that, but we're going to skip by it for today. Because the point is this. Then in verse 7, God repeats again the promise of a land. I'm going to give you this land for you and your descendants to live in. And Abram asks a really reasonable question. Lord, I believe you, but how am I to know Can I have something to kind of hang this promise on so that I know? Can we define this a little bit? And so look at what God does in verse 9. He says, bring me a heifer, a cow, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Bring me a bunch of animals. Okay. Abram brings a bunch of animals. He knows what's going on. He knows what to do with them. So he takes these animals. He cuts them in half. And he laid each half of the animals apart against each other. But he didn't cut the birds in half. What's going on here? This is gruesome. This is rather bloody and violent. What does this have to do with God's promise to bless all nations through Abram? Let me, let me explain it to you. This is actually a really remarkable thing that God does here. God takes a known cultural custom from the ancient Near East at that time, a a covenant ceremony that people would use to make agreements together. And he says, Abram, I'm going to take a form, a structure that you understand and use it to help you understand what what this relationship is and why I'm committing this to you. The whole form and structure of this covenant, ancient covenant ceremony was that you'd take these animals, you'd cut them in half, you'd set them apart from each other, and then the parties that were entering into an agreement together would walk together between the pieces of the cut-up animals, and that action was meant to communicate something. And what it communicated was that if either of us fails to uphold our end of this agreement, let what happened to these animals happen to us. Not playing around, right? There's a level of seriousness to this ceremony. But what happens in Genesis 15 is really fascinating because as soon as Abram gets everything set up for the ceremony to take place, it says a deep sleep fell on Abram. He falls asleep and lays down to the side and God speaks again over Abram in his sleep these promises that he made and then there's this smoking 
pot, this blazing torch that passes between the pieces of the animals alone, representing God's presence. It's as though God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna carry all the weight of this covenant myself. Abram, you just get some rest over here off to the side. All of this is on my shoulders. Do you see that? He formalizes his relationship with Abram through a known covenant ceremony so that Abraham can go, ah, I get it. We're bound together in this. God's gonna fulfill his promises. He's bound himself by covenant to do it. It says this in verse 18. Again, on that day, the Lord made this covenant with Abraham. I will give your offspring that land. I've bound myself, my character, my reputation to the fact that I will fulfill my promise to you. That doesn't mean that Abram has no responsibility in this relationship. As a matter of fact, two chapters later, in Genesis chapter 17, is where now, now God kind of flips it around and he looks at Abram and he says, okay, now I want you to formalize your commitment to me. In Genesis 17, he says, Abram, I'm calling you to walk before me and be blameless and keep my covenant. And here's the sign, the way I want you to formalize this for you. I'm gonna call you to this thing called circumcision. You and all your male descendants after you are gonna be circumcised in the skin of your, your foreskin to mark you as one of mine. Now, why God picked that as the symbol to formalize this covenant with Abram? Why? Well, there's, there's a, there's a, probably one idea that probably I think has the most merit to me is this. Because God's promise to Abraham, his covenant with Abraham so focused on this idea of descendants, offspring, children, and yet Abraham and Sarah were unable to have children. That basically what God does, he says, I'm gonna formalize this relationship by marking you on your body, on the part of your body that is most directly connected with having children. But again, the point of it, do you see the rhythm? This is a formalized relationship between God and Abraham based upon promises of a blessing and a land and a great nation because there's a common mission to bring blessing to all nations on earth. You see it? Catch the rhythm? Okay, now let's look at this with how God does something similar with the descendants. He promised to give Abram descendants, and he did. And in the book of Exodus, we see that those descendants grew into a great nation that were enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years, and then God comes and rescues them through Moses, the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. And then, turning your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 19 where God explains why he did all of this for the Israelites, why he showed such great power to rescue them. Here's what God says in Exodus 19. He calls Abram up onto the mountain, this Mount Sinai, where the people of Israel were encamped. And then Moses calls, or God calls to Moses from the mountain. He says this. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, here's why I did all of this. If indeed you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God's saying to the people, the reason why I did all of that for you, to rescue you and bring you to myself, is to now enter into a covenant with you. I'm calling you into this covenant so that you might be my treasured possession, my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Those phrases should sound a little bit familiar to us. If you were here this summer as we went through the book of 1 Peter, do you remember that? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter takes these same ideas and applies them to us as followers of Jesus. He says, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This whole idea of being a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, it's speaking to the mission of this covenant. God's calling Israel and by extension us through Jesus Christ to be his representatives in this world. A community of people, a family of people 
who live distinct, holy, separate from the world around us, yet for the sake of the world around us, so that they might see and know and join us in a relationship with God. That's the mission that God called Israel to, that God calls us to, to be his representatives to the nations. So that's what he does with them in Exodus chapter 19. He says, this is the purpose. I'm calling you to a covenant because there's a mission to represent me to the nations that I'm calling you to join me in. But what about the promises? What does it mean to be faithful in the future to this relationship? Well, in the very next chapter, God begins to lay out for the people of Israel what it means for them to be faithful. So we were in Exodus chapter 19. If you look at Exodus chapter 20, can anybody see what the heading is? What happens in Exodus chapter 20 that's key? The Ten Commandments. Okay, very famous. You're probably picturing Charlton Heston in your head if you're of a certain age. The Ten Commandments. Promises. God calls Israel to be faithful to this relationship to me. I'm calling you to live according to these ten rules. These ten words. But if you look at those commandments, how do they shape our understanding of what it means to be faithful in this covenant? Well, the first four, I guess you could say, are very vertically oriented. They, they define the relationship, what it means to be faithful to the relationship between the people of Israel and God. No other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Carry my name in your words, in your actions, in your lifestyles. Carry my name in a worthy way. Don't take my name in vain. Remember this Sabbath day that I gave you as a gift for your rest, to remind you of your neediness in my supply, right? All of that is vertically oriented in their relationship with God. But the six last commandments, now flip it to that horizontal plane. Here's what it means to be faithful to each other. Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't covet. This is how you don't violate your relationship with one another in this spiritual family. Well, God would go on from there throughout the rest of the book of Moses, uh, books of Moses, and he would give the people many, many more commands to address more specific situations of what it looks like to be faithful in this relationship. But they all kind of boil down to these 10 right here. And then in the New Testament, Jesus says, okay, you can even boil it down further to two commands. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. What was the first one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. And then there's a second one that's like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to live in faithfulness to this covenant relationship? It means to position yourself where my life is focused on two main ends, to love the Lord my God with all that I have and to love those around me in the same way that I love myself. And then, having told the Israelites the mission, you're my kingdom of priests, you represent me to the nations. Having laid out for them and calling them to promise to be faithful in their relationship with God and with each other, in Exodus chapter 24, he formalizes it. We have the ceremony. Flip in your Bible to Exodus 24. This is one that's not going to be up on the screens, but we'll walk through this together for a moment. Exodus chapter 24, starting in verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They make promises of ongoing faithfulness. We, will, we are swearing ourselves to do what God has told us to do. And then here comes the formality, the ceremony of all of it. Look in verse four. So Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord he rose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 pillars, pillars according to the number of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood of those oxen and he put it into basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar to, to sanctify it, to set it apart as holy. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said again, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and he threw it now on the people. 
And he said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Keep that phrase, blood of the covenant, in your mind as we move forward. But again, think about this. I'm glad, personally, that we don't formalize any covenant relationships in our day by throwing blood at each other. That just... That seems a little unsanitary, but at that time, that was the form and structure of this. This is how you sanctified not only the objects of their worship, but the people who are called to worship God. He sanctified, set them apart with blood. And then listen to this. This is the craziest part. Look at verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, they went up onto Mount Sinai, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, he's like, I can't even fully describe this, but it's almost like there was a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. This is in the greatness of this, this appearance of God that the elders of Israel got to see, it's almost like they couldn't see past what was under his feet. It was just so grand. He's like, I'm only going to try to describe for you like the ground level of what this looked like. And even then, I can't fully put words to it. But then look at this, verse 11. And God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people. They beheld God and ate and drank. Can you imagine what that would have been like to be hosted by the God of the universe in his presence to a feast? Let me say this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ... The Bible tells us that one day you will experience that. The book of Revelation gives us this picture of what it calls the marriage supper of the Lamb that God's people are invited to. God is going to host us at a banquet in his son's honor. And in a strange way as we see it, we're kind of like, if it's the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're kind of collectively the bride in that whole feast. This amazing picture that we get to be hosted one day by God in his own presence and in his son's honor to be with him, not just for a meal and then go back down the mountain where it's safe, but to be in his presence forevermore. This is what is coming for those who trust in Jesus. Amen? But again, the point, do you catch the rhythm of this idea of a covenant relationship? It's a formalized relationship between God and Israel and between the Israelites and each other based upon promises that they make to be faithful to, be God, to God and to each other in pursuit of this mission of representing God to the nations. This is what this whole idea of a covenant is all about. Now, there's so much more that we could get into on this. How God goes on to explain the consequences that would come to Israel if they disobeyed him. You find that like at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, where he says, if you're unfaithful to this covenant, here is the destruction and the suffering and the whole breakdown of everything that will happen to you. And then as you continue to read through the Old Testament, we see how repeatedly the people of Israel did that very thing. They broke the covenant. They were unfaithful to the relationship, and they did suffer greatly because of it. And yet along the way, God makes promises like what we see in Jeremiah 31 where he says, the day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. It's not going to be like the covenant that I made with them before that they broke even though I was a faithful husband to them. But this new covenant, I'm going to write my law on their hearts. It's actually going to change their hearts so that they can walk faithfully to me. And skipping way farther ahead, when Jesus sat there in that upper room celebrating the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and he held up that cup and he said, this is the blood of the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is saying that promise that my father made back in Jeremiah 31 to bring about a new covenant that could transform you, that make you like God, <laughs> that could make us and make us those who can live faithfully to God. That's coming in me. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he brings about that new covenant. Remember, we talked at the beginning about this picture of Jesus and his disciples celebrating this Passover meal. And just think for a second about what was going on in that scene. The same God who hosted Moses and the 70 elders of Israel to a feast on Mount Sinai back in Exodus 24 is the one sitting with them in that room taking on humanity, becoming God in human flesh, hosting his disciples to another meal. 
And in the same way that Moses sprinkled the people with the blood of the oxen and said, this is the blood that seals you as part of God's covenant family. Now Jesus holds up that cup of wine and he says, drink this. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He is framing his relationship with his disciples, including you and me, if we are disciples of Jesus. He is framing our relationship with him as a covenant, a formalized relationship based upon promises of faithfulness in pursuit of a common mission. And that mission, the reason why we're in this covenant relationship with God is everything we talked about last week. What Jesus tells us in Matthew 28. The great commission of the church, of this covenant family, is to make disciples of all nations. Because the thing about this family, unlike the, the family of Abraham, where you were included in the family through birth, this family, this covenant family grows not through natural childbirth, but through what Jesus talked about in John 3, this idea of being born again by the Spirit of God. So how do we grow the covenant family as new covenant followers of Jesus? By being disciples who make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And within this formalized relationship, Jesus himself promises to be faithful to us on into the future, to be with us always to the end of the age. What are the promises that we make in this relationship? Well, I guess you could say the entire rest of the New Testament lays out for us what it means for us to be faithful to this relationship, both to God and to each other. Like, for instance, the over 30 one another command. Sometimes you'll hear that. If you're new at Cornerstone, you'll hear us at a different time talk about we want to practice the one another's. These commands we see throughout Scripture that we are called to love one another. That we are called to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to even reprove and rebuke and correct one another. It's by practicing these things that we seek to be faithful to this relationship and pursue the mission of this relationship to make Jesus known to those around us. Again, just like it was with the covenant with Israel, it all boils down to these same two ideas of loving God with all that we are and loving one another as we love ourselves. Even further than that, what Jesus says in John 13, that we love one another, not just like we love ourselves, but like Jesus has loved us. That's what this commitment is all about. Now, there's one more detail I wanna, I wanna lay out to you before I kinda, or as I just kinda connect how this all applies to membership at Cornerstone. So yeah, think back again to what we just talked about a couple minutes ago, this covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. There were a few times over the course of Israel's history where later generations of Israelites would renew this covenant. They would recommit themselves to this covenant. Sometimes we see it in the Old Testament like after a huge momentous event, like at the end of the book of Joshua when the people have, have taken possession of the land that God promised them. And then before Joshua dies, he has that famous phrase that often we put on art in our homes or coffee mugs where it says, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people say, we also will serve the Lord. And Joshua leads them to commit themselves to that covenant. Sometimes we see it after a long period of disobedience in Israel's history, and even sometimes destruction and captivity. We see this in the book of Nehemiah, like chapter 10. The people have come back from 70 years of captivity in Babylon because they rejected their covenant with God. And they gather together in this rebuilt city of Jerusalem and the priests read God's law over them and the people collectively as a whole say, yes, we will commit ourselves to that. Now the thing is this, they're not making a different covenant. They are committing themselves to the same covenant that God instituted in the days of Moses. Does that make sense? Later generations saying, yes, God already did this in the past, but we in our day, in our generation, are going to commit ourselves to live out that covenant now. I think that's probably the clearest way that I can illustrate what we're shooting for with this whole idea of membership at Cornerstone. We are not in any way calling you to make a covenant commitment in addition to Scripture. 
What we are seeking to do is to say, Jesus instituted this new covenant through his death and resurrection. And he lays out for us in his word what it means to be faithful to that. So in our day, in our generation, in our location, within these local committed relationships, let's put our hands in together and say, that's what we will do. We will commit ourselves to live according to the new covenant that we see in Jesus. That's what I wanna make clear. This is not some extra biblical commitment that we're calling you to make in local church membership. It is simply the commitment to live according to what Jesus has told us within this location. Here's the way we put it there on on page seven of the membership book. The purpose of membership at Cornerstone is nothing more or less than the commitment to live according to the relationship, promises, and mission of the new covenant within this particular local church rather than assuming that we are committed to one another. We seek to follow the examples we see in scripture by making a visible, formal commitment to one another. So here's what I'd love to wrap up. I'd love to just talk a little bit about when we talk about making a visible, formal commitment, what do we mean by that? Well, there's two main ways that we seek to formalize membership here at Cornerstone, in writing and in person. The reason for putting together this membership booklet and giving it to you is kind of to, in writing, lay out what we believe it means to live according to the new covenant in Jesus as a local church family. That's why we encourage you to take time to read through it, to pray through it. Then having done that, on the very back page of it, you'll see there's a little QR code that takes you to a member application, a place where now you, in writing, state your desire to join us in this commitment of membership. This is also why I encourage you, take your time, pray through this, read through this. Some people before the end of the first week of this series, we were already getting little dings on our phone that they were submitting applications. It was like, if, you're, if, you, if you know, absolutely, let's do it. But I would say this, if you're one of those people where you wanna see the whole picture before you commit to something, which I would say is actually really wise, by the way, feel free to take your time, pray through this, talk through this. If you have questions, come talk with us, make things clear. Next week, we're gonna lay out more of this, this idea of a discipleship pathway. If the purpose of membership is to be disciples and make disciples, well, how, how do we wanna do that? What do we want to build into one another through this process of discipleship? After that, we'll talk through the, the, the responsibilities that members take on, that we as your leaders take on. But again, if uh, If you want to get the whole picture, I would say that's a great idea. Do that. We're going to continue to walk through this over the next few weeks. I would say this, especially, listen to me, especially if you're a little skeptical right now about this whole membership thing at Cornerstone, because maybe you've been around here for a while and you've seen the ways we've tried to do this in the past and it hasn't gone so well. And so maybe right now you hear me and you kind of say, yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to wait a little bit to see if they actually do anything with this. I would say to you, I 100% understand that mentality. That's actually one of the reasons why I kind of volunteered myself to try to help lead the charge to bring it into full implementation, membership into full implementation this fall to show you that, yeah, we do wanna follow through on what we're saying. And I hope that what you see, if you're in that skeptical place, I hope that what you see is as we establish these clear processes, as we start to set these rhythms and stick with them, that even if right now you're not ready to do it, later on you go, okay, you actually are doing this and I do wanna join you in it. I hope that we do earn your trust as we move forward with this. But again, if you, for those who do submit a membership application, do you say, yes, I wanna join in this commitment? The next step, having done it in writing, is now walk you in person into membership. One of us as elders will reach out to you. We'll set up a time to sit down and talk with you to get to know you if we don't all know you already. Some of you all have been around for a long time and this, this will feel like more of a formality. But again, as you see, formality is not necessarily bad and makes things clear for us. But we'll sit down with you. We'll answer questions that you might have. We'll ask questions that we might have and we'll just make sure that you, you have a good understanding of what this commitment looks like. And then the last way that we do it is to formally welcome you into membership kind of up here in front of the church family. Have you come up here and we make promises to one another. We as your elders make promises to you. You as members make promises back to one another. 
And in that way, we kind of formalize and celebrate this commitment together. And actually, that's the way that we're going to kind of close out our service today. We have a group of people who are ready to kind of be welcomed into membership. Um, And we're going to do that. I'll call you up in just a minute. Not quite yet. But let me just talk a little bit about it. Because I want to, especially for those of you all that have been around Cornerstone for a long time, and you might be going, why are these people up there and not other people? Basically, what we wanted to do as we made a plan to fully implement membership was we had a list of a bunch of people who, in the processes that we set in the past, said, yes, we're with you. We want to be a part of it. And like the one piece that we, we never did was to f- like formally welcome them into membership. So even as we moved forward with it and wanted to call more people into this commitment, we absolutely wanted to make sure that we celebrated those and honored those who did try to honor the, the, the processes we laid in the past, even as we try to make those processes a little bit clearer going forward. And the folks that are going to come up today are only a small number of those who have uh, committed to membership with us in the past. We're going to do another one of these membership celebrations next month for those who couldn't make it today, the folks that are up here today, because this date worked for them. And I would say, if you are a member, um, hopefully you've, you've been getting and reading the emails that we've been sending you over the last several weeks about this. If perhaps you go, oh, that's right, I forgot to RSV for that. October 17th will be the next day. We'd love to have you up here join us with it. But we'll do another one in November and December and after that uh, that'll include even some of you who have stated your desire to join us in membership even since the start of this series. But again, I want you to understand, as I call these people up on stage, we're not trying in any way to have it come across as some sort of elite special forces club. We're not trying in any way to exclude anyone. Um, Our desire is to invite all those to join us who want to in this covenant of membership. And we're willing to take the time that we need to do it well, to do it personally. The goal of this series is really just to establish these healthy rhythms and to start walking people into it. So I'm going to put up on the screen a list of the folks that are going to come up and join us. I'm going to ask you as you come up to maybe uh, join us on this kind of side of the stage here, your left, my right. And then we will make these promises to one another and celebrate this commitment together. So here's the folks who are part of this first member celebration. So if you can, go ahead and make your way up on stage. And as you do that, as you come up here, you'll probably see up there that Rick and Cheryl Puente's names are in asterisks. Many of you know Rick and Cheryl. They're longtime servants at Cornerstone. We love them dearly. But even just based upon uh, health conditions that they have in the midst of the pandemic, they're really having to be careful to avoid large gatherings. So they're joining us remotely via the live stream. So Rick, Cheryl, love y'all. Love you guys so much and so happy that you want to join us in this even remotely today. But go ahead and make your way up. We'll use as much space as we need to. Alrighty, keep coming, keep coming. Hi guys, how's it going? Good. Wherever you want, man. You can go wherever you want. Alrighty, so there's a little bit of formality to this, but don't let it, like, it is also a celebration of the commitment that we're making to one another. So let me say this to you. There's a number of things I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to affirm, and then I'll ask you to repeat after me your affirmation to it. But the first thing I want to say is this. The purpose of membership at Cornerstone, as we've talked about today, is nothing more or less than the commitment to live according to the relationship and promises and mission of the new covenant together as a local church. So therefore... Do you confirm that you are a Christian, that you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay for your sins, rose from the grave so that you could have new life with him forever, and ascended to heaven as king over all, sending his Holy Spirit to empower you to walk in obedience to him? Do you confirm that you have repented of your former way of life, turning toward God for forgiveness and new life under his loving authority? And do you confirm your desire to unite as a member with the family of Cornerstone Church? If so, please say, I do. And I do as well. (laughs) Okay, so then, here's, here's the promises. In response to the gospel, with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit, do you commit to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples in partnership with the members and elders of Cornerstone Church? 
Do you promise to protect the integrity of this church by keeping a close relationship with God, by submitting to the authority of the Bible? Do you promise to protect the unity of this church by actively loving others, by refusing to gossip, by sharing your life and resources, by practicing the sacrificial attitude of Jesus, by following and praying for our church leaders, by being gracious and submissive to our elders on matters of doctrine insofar as they are seeking to be faithful to scripture? Do you promise to share the responsibility of this church by praying for the people of this church to grow in their relationship with God, by financially supporting the work of the church as you are able, by inviting non-believers to know Christ, by welcoming all who visit? Do you promise to participate in the ministry and mission of this church by making yourself available to be equipped through scripture and service to be disciples who make disciples, by seeking to be a hearer and doer of God's word, by cultivating a servant's heart, by developing and dis or discovering and developing your gifts, passions, and callings? Do you promise to live out your identity as a member of this church by participating in corporate worship services as you are able, by actively participating in a community of disciples, by striving to grow in godliness and to help others do the same? And here's the last part of it. And when you fail to uphold these promises, do you promise to seek repentance and restoration by confessing your sin and struggle, struggle to other trusted believers, by humbly receiving rebuke from others as a gracious gift to help you see and acknowledge your sin, by seeking forgiveness from those affected by your sin, by seeking help and counsel from other trusted members so that you may turn from your sin and turn toward love for God and others? If so, please repeat the following. This is my promise. In response to the gospel, with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Amen, and I join you in that. Now, I'm gonna ask if John and Dan and Mike and Todd, maybe we can just step forward a little bit or come over to this side with me. And then Bob Gross, a dear friend, is gonna read for us the vows that we are making to you as in addition to our membership vows as your elders. So take it away, Bob. And to, each, and to each of our elders, in addition to your vows as members of Cornerstone, I will ask you as well. Do you promise in, in response to the gospel and with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit, do you promise to lead and serve these members of Cornerstone by willingly, eagerly giving oversight to the church, by following Jesus' example of sacrificial service, so that you might set an example for the flock to follow, by seeking God's will for the church as you study the scriptures and follow the spirit? And do you promise to care for and protect these members of Cornerstone by regularly praying for them, by providing teaching and counsel from the whole of scripture, by equipping them through scripture and service to be disciples and make disciples, by graciously exercising biblical discipline of members and each other when necessary for the purpose of seeking repentance and restoration, by guarding against false teachers and correcting false teaching where it may arise. If so, please repeat the following. This is my promise in response to the gospel with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Now that we were gonna finish, we're just gonna gather up together. Yeah, please. We're gonna to gather together as a group of members, lay hands on one another, and then Todd's gonna to lead us in prayer. All right. Could I just have everybody stand up? Could you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, I thank you so much for this local church. I thank you for the years of your favor upon us, 
I thank you so much for the, uh, the joys, the heartache. I thank you so much for every aspect of how you've woven together different things where I look back on, I'm like, oh, why did we do that? Or I look back with excitement and go, I'm so glad we did that. Father, there's just so many aspects of this that I'm reminded you're a good sovereign God. You're a phenomenal father. And I thank you so much for loving us. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you so much for just the reality that because of his work, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and even right now, his ascension sitting right next to you, all of us don't stand in a confidence of our own. We stand in the confidence of Jesus Christ. I thank you so much that you gave us your Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, I praise you that it's the constant reminder that you are our daddy that you truly are our one that has sealed us until that day of redemption. And you have empowered us to be your witnesses, to, to live in the way that you've designed us to live, Father, not because we have the power, but because your spirit empowers us to be those people. And Father, I thank you for everyone that's on this stage. Father, I thank you for their friendship in Jesus Christ. I thank you for getting to serve with them in Jesus Christ. And Father, now with these commitments we've made, we're making commitments to your word, to the truth of your word. And so Father, with one another, within this local body of these precious people that all of us sit here as blood-bought saints of yours, would we not be people that are a part of just some weird exclusive club, but would we be a people of the towel? Would we serve as humble servants, Father, would we serve with a compassion? Would we serve with a boldness? Would we serve with graciousness and love? And Father, out of it then, would your kingdom be built? Would lives be transformed? And would your son Jesus be put on display? And so thank you, God. You are a good, good father. And I thank you for that. And we ask all these things in your son's precious and powerful name. Amen.